Hey, this is Josh Herrera, and I'm the pastor of Lighthouse Church North County, and this is our podcast. Wherever you are and however you are listening, I want to say thank you for tuning in to what we are teaching at Lighthouse. Our desire is that these messages would help you to fulfill your God-given potential. If this message impacts you, share it with someone you know. We are on this journey together, becoming more like Jesus, one day and one step at a time. Now here's today's message. We hope it blesses you. All right, all right. Hey, go with me to the gospel. According to Luke, physician Dr. Luke wrote a gospel, and we're going to be in there. We're in a sermon series that we have called The Long Shots. What's it called? Long shots, and we are looking at ordinary people who did extraordinary things. If you've been following with us, you know that each week we're just unpacking a different person. Last week we were talking about Onesimus. All the messages are up on YouTube, and you can get caught up if you missed any of them. But today we have a new person that we are going to introduce to you all. So let's go to Luke chapter 8, and we're going to read the first three verses, and then we're going to jump all the way to Luke chapter 24 to kind of get some closure to this person that we're going to introduce to you. So Luke 8, verse 1 through 3 reads as follows. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him. And also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Now let's go to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, verses 9 through 10. It says, when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. For the next few moments, I want to talk to you on this, on this um, thought that I'm titling, Following Jesus. Following Jesus. Jesus. Let's take a moment and pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for this opportunity to now hear your word. We have so enjoyed your presence in the worship. We have enjoyed your presence, even just seeing one another in this beautiful faith community. And now, Father, we just pray that out of your word that you would speak to us. I pray, God, that our hearts and our minds would be open to receive everything that you have for us. I pray, God, that as this word goes out corporately, that individually you would speak, God, that you would deposit an individual word inside of the heart of every person that is here today. We ask all this in your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Clap your hands one last time and you may be seated following Jesus. So I want to talk to you a little bit about my first year of college. My first year of college was an absolute bust. All right. Let me, let me, some of you are like, same. So let me, let me kind of share with you my story. Um, I was supposed to go to San Diego State University. Are there any Aztecs in the room right now? Just my wife. Wow. Seriously? Okay, Lisa, come on. Let me ask one more time. Where are all the Aztecs at? There it is. Okay, y'all. Man, quiet crowd. Okay, I get it. Everyone's a cougar, right? Everyone, I'm talking about Cal State San Marcos. Hey. All right, some of you were looking at it like, Pastor. Um, <laughs> too early for that. Anyway, <laughs> so I was supposed to go to San Diego State University, had the grades to go to San Diego State University. I had gotten accepted to San Diego State University, but... 
as a senior in high school, there was two things working against me. Number one, I had a senior schedule. How many of you guys remember senior schedule where you only went to school till like lunchtime and then you got to go home? Did anyone else have senior schedule or were you making up classes your senior year because you goofed off? Okay, well, I had, I had senior schedule because I was up on credits. See, my dad would always stick me in summer school, not because I was bad, but because he just didn't want me home, you know? So by the time I got to be a senior, they were like, well, you've almost finished everything. You just got to take a math, English, and science, so you get to leave when you're done. So I had just enough of a bad combination of senior schedule and senioritis. You guys remember what senioritis is, right? <laughs> you're just like, you can see the finish line, so you're just checked out mentally. So I had senior schedule and I had senioritis, and I had all of that working against me. So I was supposed to take a placement test to just to, to that, that was going to help me figure out, you know, where exactly I should land with being at state and, uh, and uh, what classes I should be taking for English and literature. And um, I had my date scheduled, of course, like a true procrastinator. I picked the last date available to take a test. I'm like, I'll go with that date. And um, I was supposed to show up and take my test. But my friend, my friend invited me to go to the Bay Area on that same weekend to go and have a high school graduation party with him. So I decided I'm going to go to the Bay Area instead. So we went, <laughs> yeah, we went to Vallejo instead, had a little weekend party with my friends. And then when I came back, I thought, well, I'll just do what I normally do. I'll go sweet talk the lady at the registrar and uh, somehow make my way into the college. No one told me that's not how it works. So I show up and I'm like, hey, uh, I need to reschedule my placement test. I didn't take my test. I'm like, what, what date were you supposed to take? Oh, just like, you know, last week I was supposed to take my placement test. I'm like, okay. Well, there's no more tests. <laughs> I'm thinking like, cool, I don't have to take a test, you know? But then she breaks it to me. No, you're not, you, you can't come. You needed to take that test in order to come to the university. I'm like, well, can I come to the spring? No, you have to reapply for next year. Like, you, you don't get to come at all. And, and I was like, I, I, I wish someone would have told me that. <laughs> and I really wish. And the thing is, I'm sure someone told me that. I just wasn't paying attention, right? Senior schedule, senioritis. And so I wasn't listening to anyone. And I remember like going home thinking, I got to go to Harvard on the Hill now. <laughs> if you don't know what Harvard on the Hill is, that's the junior college, okay? I was like, I got to go to JUCO. Like, I was supposed to go to the university. Why? I got go to go to Southwestern College now? Like, are you kidding me? I don't want to go to Harvard on the Hill. But, but that, was the, that, was my, that was my reality because I made a poor decision. And I kind of felt like, man, I, I really wish someone would have counseled me through this because my parents, and I love my parents, mom and dad, but they were like, son, this is up to you. Like, you, you're an adult. You go figure this out. And I'm like, I didn't know that if I didn't show up and take my test, it was going to completely blow my chances at the university. It was like, I really needed a guidance counselor. I needed someone to help me out. And I say all that because today on the subject of following Jesus, I really want to help you out. I'm going to be your guidance counselor as we talk about what it means to follow Jesus. Because what happens is sometimes we hear things and we think this is what it means to follow Jesus and that ain't it. Sometimes we hear misinformation. We hear fake news, right? And so we think like this is what it means. And so I'm here to be your guidance counselor to make sure you understand what following Jesus really looks like. So for the next three hours, we'll be here. Buckle up kidding. I'm kidding. I'm not going to be that long. 
And, and, and the, tr the truth is, I can't give you everything today, but as I look at this woman in the Bible by the name of Joanna, and that's going to be our subject for today, when I look at Joanna, I think she gives us some really clear handles of what following Jesus looks like. And again, this isn't exhaustive. This, th this can go on for a whole series in and of itself, but there's just enough here that I want to lean in on. So in Luke's gospel, here in Luke chapter 8, we get our first introduction to this woman named Joanna. And what we learn from Joanna is that she is married to a man by the name of Chusa. Everybody say Chusa. It's a fun name just to say. I just wanted you to say it because it's kind of funny. Um, anyway, she's married to Chusa. And what we learn about Chusa is that Chusa is the wife. I'm sorry. Chusa is the manager of Herod's household. So, so Herod is the ruler of Galilee. And he entrusted to Chusa all of the management of his household affairs. Now, you might think, what's the big deal? The big deal is Herod was crazy, okay? Herod actually killed two of his sons because he was worried they were going to take power away from him. So, yeah, killed his own two sons because he got so insecure that they were... So, the, so this is like his boss. So if you think about it, like, like this man... Uh, Chusa had enough favor with this crazy ruler that he's able to manage his entire household. So this meant that Chusa had some influence. Chusa had some authority. He was trustworthy. But basically, he had a position. And his wife, Joanna, she really enjoyed the fruits of her husband's position. Joanna began to um, live out really the benefits of having her husband work for um, work for the king at that time, the ruler of Galilee. He, all of the benefits that came with it, Joanna enjoyed it. If I may insert this into the text, this is not in the text. This is just Pastor Joshua's interpretation. She's kind of like a trophy wife, okay? She's kind of like, like, husband's out there killing it, working for Herod, and she's just like, hey, I'll run the house. You know what I mean? So that's Joanna. But what happens is Joanna has an encounter with Jesus, and when she has an encounter with Jesus, she decides, I'm going to follow him. And um, we read from the text that apparently this is all good with Chusa. We don't have all of the backstory, but it's not like she's doing things that she shouldn't be doing. But, but she follows now Jesus, and she's listed with a few women that have now gone on to follow Jesus. Now, now this is kind of crazy because it really is um, unconventional for that time. But how many know that Jesus wasn't conventional? Jesus wasn't conventional. I mean, conventional learning at that day was men and women would go into the temple, and when they went into the temple, they would seat the men on one side, the women on one side. Didn't even matter if you were married or not. Like all the women on one side of the room, and all of the and all of the, the men on one side of the room, they separated the men from the women. This is why in Peter it talks about women learning in silence and not asking their husbands questions. It says go ask at home because they were literally separated in the temple. That's that's the context of what was going on there. And so um, that learning environment looked a lot different than Jesus' learning environment because Jesus didn't wait to teach when he got to the synagogue. Jesus taught wherever anyone would listen, right? So he'd teach in the, hill, in the hills, in the wilderness, valley sides, seashores. He, he'd get a boat. He's like, I ain't got a pulpit, but I got a boat. I'll, I'll preach here. I'll teach here. And this is how Jesus did it. And so this lady, Joanna, she left what was comfortable and convenient to follow Jesus. So if you're taking notes, that's the first thing that I want you to write down. If you're not taking notes, write this down anyway, okay? Following Jesus will lead you outside of your comfort zone. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, to follow Jesus, it will oftentimes lead you outside of your comfort zone. It will oftentimes pull you away 
from what's convenient. Joanna could have just chilled at home, right? Hubby's out there working, but instead she decides, I'm going to go on the road with Jesus. And Jesus lived a bit of a transient lifestyle. I mean, the guy was homeless. He, he would just travel about and teach and preach wherever they'd receive him. Sometimes they'd receive him well. Sometimes they didn't receive him so well. And yet Joanna said, I'm in on this. I'm in on this. I'm willing to go beyond what's comfortable and beyond what's convenient and follow Jesus. Now contrast that with, contrast that with another story in the Bible of a young man that the Bible just calls the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler, you know, wanted to follow Jesus. And the minute Jesus said, you got to leave all your stuff behind, the rich young ruler was like, I'm out. <laughs> I don't want to leave my stuff behind. I don't, I don't like this experience of following you where I have to leave my comfort zone. You see, this young man wanted Jesus to be something, but not the thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, like Jesus was going to be more of an accessory to his lifestyle than actually truly being a follower of Jesus. And following Jesus will look like that, where he will call you out of your comfort zone. He will ask you to do things that aren't comfortable for you. He will ask you to give in places that are like, no, I don't want to give there. And yet Jesus oftentimes is saying, I know. That's why I'm asking you to do it. I want to know if you're willing to sacrifice in your pursuit of following me. I'm wanting to know if you're willing to sacrifice your convenience and your comfort to following me. Now, I've said this to you all before, and I talk about this in Growth Track when we do our personality assessment, but Pastor Josh is an introvert. I, if you put me in a room full of strangers, I will be there making sure the wall doesn't fall. You know, just like, post up there. Just leave me there. I'm fine there. But and, and, and every test that I've taken, it's like, you're an introvert, you're an introvert, you're an introvert. But yet I, I step on stage and I'll preach and teach and lead because this is what following Jesus looks like for me. I'm way outside of what's convenient. I'm way outside of what's comfortable, but I do it because I'm willing to sacrifice my convenience and my comfort to follow Jesus. I'm willing to sacrifice what's comfortable for me to follow Jesus. And listen, if you're always within the comfort zone, if you're always in your safe space, you're going to miss out on God doing some really incredible things in your life. Yeah, and I, I know we'd rather stay in our little safe space. Like, don't ask me to do nothing, Pastor Josh. This is the way I'm wired. I know the way you're wired. And guess what? You don't surprise God when you tell him this is the way I'm wired because he's the one who wired you. Right. And so when he asks you to do something, it's often on the, out, it's on the other side of your comfort and what is convenient to you. Now, I believe he does that so that when you start to do, when you start to encounter some miraculous things on the other side of your comfort zone, you realize how he is calling you into a greater depth of knowing him. He's calling you into a greater place of serving. He's calling you into a greater place of selflessness, putting other people ahead of myself, prioritizing others ahead of myself, prioritizing the kingdom of God beyond what's comfortable for me. And I think this is what's called the abundant life. Somebody say the abundant life. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have life in abundance. My personal interpretation of that, you can take it too if you want it, is we all have life in Christ. At the moment that we accept Christ, we, we have life in Christ. We are a new creation. We are a new creature. But I don't think everyone who has become brand new and everyone who has received Christ is truly living an abundant life. They're just living. But to live into the, to step now into the abundant life, I think oftentimes Christ will ask us to sacrifice some of our own preferences. He'll ask us to sacrifice some of our own convenience and our own comfort. And he invites us into this place. He's calling us out into deeper waters. He's calling us out to experience him where our faith is pulled, where our faith is going deeper. He's calling us to this place where we have to step beyond what is comfortable and what's convenient. And listen, I don't like being pulled outside of what's comfortable and convenient. 
for me. If I'm being honest with you, my wife can attest, I am a creature of habit. Anybody else like that? Where you have rhythms for your life and you don't like being moved out of your rhythms? Like, I like getting up early in the morning and having my quiet time before my kids wake up. Because the minute my kids wake up, it is no, no longer about me, right? All the parents, can I get a loud amen on that? Yeah. Once your kids wake up, it's not about you. It's about them. It's like, Dad, where's my backpack? I don't know, son. It's your backpack. <laughs> I should be asking you where your backpack is. You should not be asking me. That's my conversation to everybody. Dad, where's my water bottle? I don't know, son. It's your water bottle. Where'd you leave it? But, you know, you have to drop everything and take care of the kids. And so I like my routines. And sometimes Joanna's like, you got to get out of your routines because you, you get stuck in your routines. And I do. That's the way I am. But oftentimes, I'll allow everything to be disruptive because I realize that I find God on the other side of those disruptions. So many times I encounter God there. So as your guidance counselor to following Jesus, let me tell you that oftentimes, he's going to call you outside of your comfort zone. Now, Joanna leaves what's comfortable, and she begins to follow Jesus and his ministry. Now, the Bible says this about Joanna. This is how I know she had some money. The Bible says that Joanna helped support the ministry of Jesus, meaning she helped fund that operation going forward. It was in the passage of scripture that we just read. Her, along with some of the other women, made sure that Jesus had the money, him and his disciples, necessary to go and take the gospel to other places that they were going to. All of that required money. You guys know that it's a very practical Jesus here. He's spiritual, but at the same time, he's very natural. And so there was money needed to fund, to fund this. And, and the Bible says that Joanna was one of the women that was able to fund this operation. Thanks to Chusa. Chusa's a great guy working so hard for Herod. <laughs> don't even know he's supporting Jesus. But anyway, uh, um, and, and she's out there making sure that, that Jesus is, 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 is being taken care of. She's making sure that Jesus has everything he needs. And so part of her involvement in the work that Jesus is doing is making sure that this operation is running. And guys, Lighthouse Church, let's not sleep on what a beautiful operation this is, right? I mean, wherever Jesus goes, the sick are being healed. Wherever Jesus goes, the bound are being delivered. Wherever Jesus goes, the blind, are being, the blind eyes are being opened up. Deaf ears are being opened up. I mean, he's even resurrecting dead people out of the ground. So just know that giving to God, giving to the ministry of Jesus really was being on the front lines of seeing people changed and seeing lives changed. Doesn't that sound familiar? That's exactly what we do here at Lighthouse Church, too. We're on the front lines of seeing lives forever changed by the gospel. And so this is what Joanna was doing to support him. Now, now here's the second thing that I want you to write down, and I'll, I'll, I'll expound on all this. But let me just get it out there. Number two, following Jesus does not mean abandoning your influence. Following Jesus does not mean abandoning your influence. Here's what I mean. Joanna had the means. She had the financial capacity to fund the ministry of Jesus. So she's using her influence. Somebody say influence. You have your own influence in your life, meaning there are friends that you have, places that you work, your education, your gifts, your talents, your abilities, your specialties, you have your own influence. And here's what Jesus does, here's what following Jesus does not look like. Following Jesus does not mean abandoning your places of influence. I want to make sure you get this. It does not mean abandoning the places where God has strategically placed you to make a difference. 
So if you've got friends that are far from God, it doesn't mean that you now abandon your friends because now I'm a follower of Jesus. Now, if your friends are crazy and they're going to jail, you might want to rethink that relationship. You know what I mean? If your friends like to party and get wild and, and it's going to cost you your marriage, that's probably a friendship you don't want to have, okay? That, that's not even following Jesus. That's just life advice right there. You get what I'm saying? So I'm not saying you, you, I'm, I'm not saying you keep every friend, especially the ones that are going to drag you down. But what I am saying is I don't believe God calls you to whitewash who you are for the sake of following him. I remember uh, I grew up in a pretty conservative church, but on the scope of conservative churches, I think we were more on the liberal side of conservative churches, if that makes sense, which is kind of funny because it was not liberal at all. But anyway, uh, um, I grew up in conservative church. But one time my wife and I, we went to go, I was ministering at a church in Baldwin Park. I used to preach out a lot in my 20s. And so we went to go speak at this church at Baldwin Park that was definitely more conservative, like way more conservative. And, and when I showed up, to, I was a guest speaker. They were going to have this young lady get baptized. She was about 15, 16 years old. And they did something called the sentence at the church. Some of you might even remember this. They had something called the sentence. And if you're wondering, like, like, was she sentenced? Yeah, pretty much. It, felt like they were, it, it sounded like they were sentencing her to death, almost. Like, they brought her up to the front. This is in the middle of the worship service, okay? They brought her up to the front, sat her right in the chair, right here where we were Levi City. Just, boom, sat her there. And then the, 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 the gentleman that was going through the procession opens up his Bible, like that, that big grandma Bible that's in the, her coffee table, you know what I'm talking about? He, like, opens up to Galatians, starts to read to her, and then he says, you're no longer going to have friends that are outside the church. You're no longer going to wear this. You're no longer going to wear that. You're no longer going to do this. You're no longer going to do that in front of the whole church. And I'm watching this, and I'm kind of, like, shrinking in my seat. I'm like, God, I really need you now. Like, where am I? Like, I knew I was conservative, but this is, like, cultish. Like, what is this? They really need you. Like, they don't need me. They need you. Like, <laughs> I know. But what's crazy in that moment, like, it really felt like this whole whitewashing of who this person was. And it was like, you have to abandon everything. And what I see about Jesus is Jesus doesn't ask us to do that. He doesn't ask us to do that. Keep your influence. As a matter of fact, and I'm going to paraphrase, but Jesus comes to the life of Matthew, and he calls Matthew to be a follower of him. And then after Matthew's like, I'm going to follow you, and I'm paraphrasing, Jesus is like, hey, Matthew, you got any friends? Because I want to meet them too. I want to hang out with them too. I'd like to get to know them too. And, and, and we find that in the Bible. Again, Jesus didn't say it like that, but Matthew threw a party, invited all of his friends, and Jesus came too. And Jesus walked into that party, and all the religious people were like, he hangs out with all the sinners. Why? Because he never told Matthew to abandon his influence. He never told Matthew to abandon his friends. He never told him to do any of that. And I think many of you here at the tent uh, this morning, there's influence in your life that God needs you to be his hands and feet in those places. He's not asking you to abandon those things. That's not what following Jesus looks like. Some of you have gifts and talents that can be used here in the kingdom of God. That should be used here in the church. This is why at Growth Track, we say the dream team is not a destination, but a starting point. We want to get you started on the dream team. But when you actually get started on the dream team, you're going to start to see some things behind the scenes of the church. And something might strike your heart like, wait a second, I can make that better. That's God's way of you leveraging the gifts and the talents that you have to go and make something else better. I remember before I came and worked at the church, I was a, uh, I was a subcontracts administrator, and reading contracts was just a big part of my job, and mostly negotiation. I really didn't like reading contracts. I like negotiating, though. So I used to lead negotiation teams, and I remember um, thinking that didn't really have its place in the church. 
And then one time the church brought in this worship leader back at South County. We brought in this worship leader, and the worship leader had a contract. He was like, these, these, are, these are my expectations. And I remember being a contract guy. I was like, give me that contract. I want to read it. I want to see what's in there. <laughs> I remember getting the contract, and I kind of went through it. I put some red lines on it. I'm like, oh, no, we ain't doing that. No, we're certainly not doing that. And you ain't getting this. You know what I mean? I remember giving it back. But my point of it being is I didn't really see a place for that skill set, and yet it was there. And yet it was there. And so I leveraged my influence one more time here in the kingdom of God. And so, listen, that's why we say get on the dream team. I know that's not the final destination for you, but it's going to give you an opportunity to see some more needs. And God will use you to meet those needs. He wants you to, he wants you to leverage your influence for the glory of God. He doesn't call you to abandon it. He wants you to leverage your influence for the glory of God. So that's the second thing. And this is the third thing, and it's my last thing, and I'm going to come to a close. Like I said, I'm not giving you everything today, but there's just some things in the life of Joanna that I see that I want to give you. So number one, she stepped outside of her comfort zone. Number two, she used her influence, <laughs> and her influence was her affluence, okay? It was the fact that she had the means to support the ministry of Jesus, so she did that. But the third thing that happened here is we get to the very end of Luke's gospel and we get to Luke chapter 24. And here in chapter 24, we see that she is with Mary and some of the other women that went to the tomb where they had buried Jesus. Now, we don't see a lot of Joanna after Luke chapter eight. And by the time we get to Luke chapter four, but because she's already there, it leads me to believe that she stuck extremely close to him. Like she was close to this ministry and she was there in the final days when on Friday they crucified Jesus and they buried him in the tomb. And so she comes back early Sunday morning and we'll talk about his resurrection in two weeks, okay? But she comes back on Sunday morning to the grave and she's there to put some more ointment on his body, her and the other women. Um, and when she shows up, obviously they get the revelation that he's not there. He's resurrected just like he said he would. Now, again, that's not the point. The point is this. I love the fact that she continued to serve. She continued to trust beyond what she could see. She, she trusted beyond what she could see. And that's actually the last thing that I want for you to write down. Following Jesus asks you to trust beyond what you can see. Following Jesus asks you to trust beyond what you can see. Because what she could see was Jesus crucified. What she could see was Jesus buried in the tomb. What she could see was the stone covering the tomb. And yet, she didn't abandon faith. And yet, she still came to where the body of Jesus was. She was right there with Mary and the other Mary. She's, she's right there running to the tomb of Jesus because even though by all external accounts, it looked like this ministry was over, even by all external accounts, it looked like Jesus was dead and gone. By all external accounts, it looked like she could just go back home to Chusa and just go back to the life that she had. But she continued to believe beyond what it looked like beyond what it looked like and she and, and i would even add this she continued to serve christ even beyond what it felt like somebody say feel i was talking about this the other day with pastor joe i think that the challenge for the next generation i want you to hear me all the young people in the room and when i say young i mean anyone under 30 okay uh listen to me your challenge is you are gonna have to deal with the fact that 
there is patience in your walk with God. You, you have to learn patience in following Jesus. You grew up with everything readily available at the push of a button. Everything comes to you. Like, like you don't know what it's like to be bored. You don't. I know it sounds funny, but we would go on road trips and we didn't have tablets. We didn't have phones. So we looked out the window. Boredom was our friend, you know what I mean? Like, being bored was just a part of our day. And like this next generation, like my son Jude, who always has to be doing something, always has to have a ball in his hand, such an athlete. He's like, Dad, I'm bored. I'm like, good. You need some boredom in your life. I grew up with boredom. I didn't have a phone. I didn't have a tab. They weren't even invented, son. It's not because we were poor. It's because they didn't exist, all right? Like, like and, and this generation, and some of you, this, I'm talking to you as well, you don't know what it's like to wait. You don't, I mean, walk, who walks home? We call an Uber, we push a button and a car shows up and it takes me home. Like, like my generation, we walked a lot. People start, people, I tell people like, I was a latchkey kid. So when I was in third grade, my older brother, uh, I'm sorry, when I was in second grade, when my older brother was in third grade, we were old enough to walk home. Second and third grade, that's, <laughs> no, Uber. It's like, we walked home. You know, and we had the key. We let ourselves in and fixed lunch for ourselves until mom got home. Mom got home at 530. It was just life. And, and, and I say that because I think that this, this next generation, you, you got to get this because sometimes you freak out because you don't feel him. Because you, you got, it's got to be here. It's got to be now. You don't feel him. You didn't grow up with dial up. <laughs> like, like, like I'm old enough to remember seeing the internet invented. I mean watched the internet being like literally watched it yeah like you saw like the commercials came on the information superhighway and it was like what is this and and like like you had to like you, your internet connection was the your telephone not 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 your cell phone the telephone plugged into the wall they used to have those things and and like you would try to log in online but if mom picked up the phone it disrupted your internet you're like mom was online what are you doing he's like sorry i gotta call your tia he's like well, no mom it's like and and you would have your internet completely cut off like when we wanted to go online it was a process like you had to really want to go online to go online you had to be committed because it would dial in it's like Arr! it sounded like a fax machine but it was like modern technology and so like i think there's a built-in like boredom and patience that my generation had that i worry for the next generation because sometimes people will be like, I don't feel God when I pray. And I'm having to tell you, he's omnipresent. So whether or not you feel him doesn't change the fact that he's there. You don't show up just to feel him. You show up because you know that he's there. And I show up to meet with God every morning. Some days, some days he's there. I mean, he's there. I'm reading the Bible and I'm getting digital downloads from heaven. And I'm like, ah, this is amazing. I feel like he's right there having coffee with me right there at my dining table where I read my Bible in the morning. And then there's some mornings where I'm like, hello, where, where are you? I don't feel you. And I've learned this is what it means to worship him in spirit and in truth. Because I'm not always going to feel him, but truth says he's there. I'm not always going to feel him, but knowledge, because I know him, lets me know that he's there. I don't feel him when I'm praying, but I pray anyway. Why? Because I know that he hears me. I show up to serve anyway. Why? Because I know he sees me. I show up to read my Bible. Why? Because I know he knows me. And so I don't do it because I feel it. I do it because it's my truth. 
I know I'm in spirit and in truth. And so I just want to tell the, the, the younger folks in the room is you do it even when you don't feel him. That's called discipline. That's called discipline. It's one of the gifts that I wish I could give you that only you could give yourself. It's discipline. I can't be disciplined for you. But if you would show up, if you would just show up beyond what you could feel, you will have some of the most amazing encounters with God. Following Jesus is going everywhere even when you don't feel him and when you don't see him but following Jesus means to show up. And as your guidance counselor here <laughs> to following Jesus, I want to leave you with that. And the Bible uses this language about seek for me and you'll find me. That word seek is very powerful. Don't, don't sleep on that word. It doesn't say look for me. It says seek for me. If I'm looking for my car keys... I'm either going to go to my front door or my garage door because we got these key hooks and my car keys are either there. Front door, garage door. I'm going to go look for my car keys. That's where they're at. I look for it. Now, if my same son Jude happened to forget his football in the car and he grabs my car keys, goes and gets his football, God only knows where those keys are going to be left. <laughs> Jude, where are my keys? Oh. Now he's like, they're your keys, Dad. You know, it's like <laughs> giving it right back to me. Like, yeah, but you took them like you I know it was you and now now I'm seeking for my keys and y'all know the difference between looking and seeking right they're, they're not where they belong so now what are you doing like you're like moving plants you're like lifting up the couches you're you're checking the bathrooms just in case you know what I mean like you're opening up trash cans like where are my keys Jude I know you took them so there's a difference between looking for something and seeking for something. When you're seeking, you're like turning over cushions. Like you're, you're turning the house upside down because you're seeking. And yet Jesus says, seek for me and you'll find me. That insertion of the word is very intentional because sometimes you're going to show up and you have to seek. Sometimes you're going to show up and you're not going to feel him. Sometimes you're going to show up and he's not going to be there the way that you thought he'd be there. And your job is to seek. Because for those who seek, you will find him. So right now, right where you're at, would you close your eyes and bow your heads? Worship team's going to come forward right now. I just want to pray over you before we enter into a time of worship. But I, I really felt to land there. Because I think there's some people here right now who feel like God has been distant. You feel like he's not where you thought he should be. He's not doing what you thought he should be doing. He's not moving in the way that you thought he should be moving. I'm telling you, Lighthouse Church, he does that to teach you to search for him. He does that to teach you to seek for him. He does that to teach you what it really means to search for the Father, to find our way into his heart. He does that to get you to this place where you thirst for him. Not just thirst, but you hunger for him. And just because I don't feel him doesn't mean I stop looking. Just because I don't feel him doesn't mean I don't pray. Just because I don't feel him doesn't mean I don't show up. Just because I don't feel him doesn't mean I don't serve. I do it anyway. Because the truth is, he's with me. The truth is, 
He's omnipresent. The truth is, He's everywhere present. The truth is, He said in His word, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I will be with you until the end of time. So I seek Him on the truth of knowing that I will find Him. I seek Him in the truth of knowing that He will answer in the day that I call out to Him. I seek for Him knowing that on the other side of my search, I'm going to find Him. So whatever it is you're going through right now, I just want to let you know that God's with you. He's walking on this journey with you. You're not alone. He sees you. He hears you. And more importantly, He knows you. He knows where you are at. He doesn't need a map. He doesn't need GPS. He knows where you are. Your responsibility is to trust that. Your name, Father. Your name, Father. Let's all stand to our feet. I'm going to ask our worship team to lead it. If this message has blessed your life, I want to encourage you to share this message with others or go online to our website and consider making a donation so that we can continue bringing you content just like today's message. God bless you.